This is Amandla, and in the studio with us, we have Doug Miller. He just got back from Malawi. 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 That used to be what before? Oh, uh, under colonial time, in colonial times, it was called Nyasaland. When uh, David Livingston, uh, the famous uh, Christian explorer, came through and uh, found the lake there, he asked the local folk, what's the name of this? And they said, uh, Nyasa which means lake. So he called it Nyasaland, which is lake land. So uh, that's what it was under colonial times. And I understand they speak English, the official language is English over there, Doug. The, 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 the government of Kamuzu Banda, when it took over after, the, after independence, made English the biz- language of business and politics. Uh, but of course, that's a that's a colonial uh, imprint on top of what top is really of the, existing there. The local. Yeah, uh, I was really surprised to find that uh, Malawi was uh, had such a large population. We're talking about sixty million people, sixteen uh, million. Oh, when I went to Malawi in 1968, the clock turned from three uh, million something to four million. And they are just doing the census. In fact, I was sitting on the, the veranda of my house when the census takers came through and marked on my door that they'd registered the door. This is the last this is to, This is this last month. Yeah. They are expecting over 20 million people 20 mi- okay. from 68 to now 20 million. So in 1968, when there were uh, 4 million people, 75% lived below the poverty line. So that's 3 million of the 4 million. Now... It's 20 plus million, and it's still 75% plus live under the poverty line, and that's 16 million. So, in fact, instead of 3 million, we now have 16 million. Mm -hmm. So, quantitatively, Malawi is extremely badly off compared to the way it was in independence. It's five times as bad. Well, the population growth is not only a problem for Malawi, but throughout the African oh, country, we, we see how the population is growing very fast. And this is indicative of the bad health services. It was, but it, it, and it's also indicative of, of, of a, a, a style and form of development that was promoted by the first independent government under the dictator Uh, uh, Dr. Hastings Kamuzu Banda, who believed in large-scale enterprise, uh, agriculture enterprises of the Western sort and, and did not favor the uh, smallholder farmer at all. So what he needed uh, was a pro-natalist policy. He wanted large families producing lots of kids who would be the cheap labor on the estates of the rich. And, and that's what they did. So for, for 30 years, there was absolutely no family planning allowed, no reproductive health. Uh, it was uh, even finding condoms was a difficult thing. And, uh, uh, and, and they're paying the price now. So let's go back to this period, Doug, because I see from your website, makupo.org, that you've been involved there since the 60s. So I want to go back at that period and tell us how did you go? I mean, in what circumstances you, you went to Africa? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was. It was the era of... Of Vietnam, it was the era of independence, fresh independence in Africa. '68 was four years after Malawi got its independence. Uh, I got to college in 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 uh, in Carleton University in '65, and I met a whole bunch of. I've never met an African person, a black person, in my life, and then I am in Carleton meeting all these Tanzanians, Zimbabweans, South Africans, Sierra Leoneans, and they were so energized and excited. 
So I decided to go to CUSO, and I went there as a teacher. I thought they would send me to Tanzania to become a socialist, but no, they sent me to little fascist Malawi, and that's where I ended up for four years. And, uh, and of course, thank goodness, because I met the, that beautiful woman who became my wife and is still my wife today. Uh, y yes, that's a, a beautiful romantic story, in, in, in fact. And I understand Makupo, this is the name of uh, her ancestors? Or? That's right. Her, her ancestors, uh, the, the folks' uh, roots are, are Makupo. Her, her grandmother uh, came from uh, a village uh, in the south, and it was uh, the people were the Makupoites. So that's the village name that has come to be our, our sort of clan name, I should call it. Uh, within it, though, there's a, quite a history of mixing from the north, the south, and from the coast. And, uh, and the people are, uh, uh, I think, uh, a wonderful mix of uh, what, what makes uh, the, the, the folks of Malawi uh, uh, really great. They're, they're warm, they're hospitable, they're hardworking, extremely hardworking. P pe people don't understand how hard poor people work, even though they get nothing in return. And it's, it's truly sad. So you you have uh, you you worked as a teacher and yes. tell us did you work in the city did you work in the country because I understand there are a lot of rural areas. I, uh, again, in 1968, four years after independence, the British had left no infrastructure, so they were uh, the government, the new independent government, was putting up secondary schools in all the districts. 50, 52 new secondary schools were built within uh, within five years, and I got to go as a teacher to one of them. It wasn't, there wasn't even a building on site when I arrived, so we were staying at a local college, and we were teaching the form ones. We had two grades, and there were three teachers, the headmaster, myself, and a, and a science teacher. Uh, we got them through the first year, and in January of 69, we get another group of form ones. So we have form two, form ones. We need three new teachers and three young graduates from the first crew of the Teacher Training College for Secondary School at Sochi Hill. And uh, tell, came, me, tell me about the programs, Doug. Well, the programs that we were doing, where we, we were teaching basic secondary school. We were perpetuating the, the colonial system, in fact. Uh, teaching the, I was teaching Greek and Roman history because we didn't have an African history syllabus at the time, and it was just being evolved. I was teaching English second language. Uh, we, uh, we, uh, we built the school physically at the same time because uh, a lot of self-help went into making it happen. And uh, it was a very exciting time. And at the same time, there were a lot of young Africans just returning from Malawians, returning from studies overseas. And they had been sent three and four years before just at independence. And they were coming back ready to contribute to make their countries great. And it was a wonderful time to it be there. And at that time, you met your wife and yes. you got married. Oh, yes. So, so for how long have you stayed there? And are you living in Canada or in uh, we did, Malawi? We stayed there. I, I stayed there for, uh, for a total of four years at the beginning. And uh, then we came back to Canada with our firstborn child uh, to, to uh, make sure that Nellie met her, uh, her Canadian side, uh, or the Canadian side of the family. Uh, we went back fully intending to settle in Malawi, but that, uh, that didn't work. By then, uh, the dictatorship had, had, had come full force, and, uh, and any sort of uh, um, 
any sort of brilliance or opposition or it, it was resented. So, so the bright young people that I had met when I first got there in 68, 69, 70, 71, uh, many of them had fled into exile. Others were in prison uh, when we went back in 75 and others were in, uh, were in exile. Uh, so we, uh, we uh, and many others, were just hunkered down trying to survive without getting, getting in trouble. So it, it was a terrible time. 75, 76, we, we survived there, but we fled to Zambia in 76. It was in, we'd un, we were incapable of tolerating the dictatorship. There was a, at least uh, half of the university staff newly graduated from uh, from uh, the the university college of chancellor and bunda were in prison for what for being from the north or for being somebody's friend it was terrible so we went to zambia and we we didn't get back to Zamb to malawi until uh, 1990 uh, i guess 94 96 uh, and then you came to Canada? We came to Canada, settled here, our children. Uh, well, we were three years in Zambia working with the liberation movements, which was a very different atmosphere than Malawi. Uh, our job with CUSO, Canadian University Service Overseas, was to build links between the, the liberation movements and progressive folks in Canada who would support them. At the time, remember, it was the Cold War and the uh, Rhodesians and the South Africans painted any opposition to their regimes as communists. So it was a, a bit of a difficult task to, to get churches and unions and others to support uh, ANC and ZAPU and ZANU and SWAPO uh, and MPLA and, uh, and uh, Free Limo. But we, that was our, our job. Uh, we were working with the refugees that were in Zambia. There were many of them, and the war in Zimbabwe heated up over that period, 76 to 79. Uh, Soweto occurred in 76, so the hundreds and thousands of young South Africans came out. So that period of three years in Zambia was a, 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 a very dynamic time, a very exciting time in our lives. But we eventually came back to Canada in 79 and settled here. And that's where our children have found their roots, and they are still here all on the island of Montreal. That's great, uh, Doug. So t tell me now about your latest project. You went uh, back for five weeks, and uh, you have on your website uh, a description of what you're doing. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> Wow, that's a, that's a busy time. We... we, uh, we um, it, was about, it, was a, it was 2003, we went back with our son, for a brief visit, and we decided that we had been sending money for too long for fertilizer, fees, funerals, uh, food. It was, uh, all the Fs were there, but it wasn't leading to any development, and we needed to start some sustainable development. So we started doing uh, infrastructure and uh, income generation projects. So we put when in- When you say uh, we, is it the family? The, or at the beginning, it was the family. family? Yes. But the family uh, very soon found that uh, the projects ran way faster than they could keep up with running. They had to look after kids. They had children to raise. And so a lot of friends have come on board to help us now. This Makupo Development Group is now friends uh, from Vanya College, friends that have worked with us over the years. And, and the support has been very, very, uh, very uh, gratifying to see. Uh, but uh, so, so, so... So tell me... Uh it, uh, we would like to share with our listeners the, the projects that you are undertaking over there. Over the years, we did a lot in the village, and then we had realized that 
one village is is not it's not right just to focus on one village. So it's expanded beyond, and so that we've started building, putting in wells in all the neighboring villages. Uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, classrooms and uh, and libraries built at the local schools. But Be- the bef- big project has before, been the clinic. Yeah. Before we go to the clinic, I want to talk about the wells. How do they get the water? Is there sufficient rain? Well, what happens is uh, Malawi uh, suffer or lives through a cyclical season of uh, very heavy rains from, say, November, December through to March, April, and then total dryness for the next uh, eight to nine months. And But in the meantime, uh, people are struggling to find water. When the rains are there, you can get water, gather it, it's groundwater, but it's always a problem if it's not clean and sanitary. The best water is water from deep in the ground, what they call borehole water. They, they, they drill deeply, it's filtered, and when it comes up through the pump, it's almost pure water, and in most cases, very, very pure compared to groundwater or uh, any other form you can get it. Now, that uh, has, has uh, the first well we put in in the village was really meant to save our Uh, family and their, the, the, the infrastructure of 60 or 70 people that live there, having to cross the main highway uh, and, and go for a kilometer with uh, maybe five or ten trips in the morning to get the water for the day and another four or five at the end of the day. And it was, it was a, a really burden, and especially on the women and the girls. Uh, that well really changed life in our village, and that led to the other villages nearby asking for help. And so we now have up to date uh, about six wells in the region around us so that nobody has to walk more than four or 500 meters to get water. And, uh, and now we just put another well in for the clinic that we're building. And I've had a, a very wonderful offer from one of the grannies from the township to put another well in. So we're going to probably get one going in the next few months. The wells make a huge difference in village life. You cannot believe how they free the labor of so many people. Instead of carrying water all day, they're free to do other things. And it also allows you to do things like making bricks for building better houses, to, to feed animals and chickens and goats. Uh, so it's, it's an amazing thing what a well can do. Uh, absolutely, because we're talking here, they have no other source. I mean, this is, they have to have water to survive, mm. so, sort of. All right. Now, how... how How can you adjust? I mean, here we have so much water, we just oh. open a tap. Oh. So can you tell us a little bit about what is life like? Because you want to build a hospital. And, uh, okay, wow. how do you secure a source of water, of clean water? Never mind electricity, but let's start with the basics. Well, the, the well for the, the, the clinic... Uh, we, we, we got the Ministry of uh, Water and Irrigation to, uh, they have a special program for uh, well drilling uh, all over the country. They do it at very reasonable prices. It's subsidized, uh, it's mostly a Japanese uh, aid that has uh, supported it over the years. And uh, they've put in uh, more than uh, five of the six or seven wells that we've done, and they do a very excellent job of it. Uh, they uh, they ha- send a professional hydrologist who does a, a sonar r- a research in the ground and understands exactly the formations of the ground and knows where water will be found therein. 
And what's neat about it is when we go to a village and we say, okay, we've got money for a well, where would you like it? And the chief says, right out front of his door. But of course, that's not necessarily where the women of the village need it. And so the, 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 uh, the, the senior hydrologist sits, starts there and he says, no, there's no water here. And he searches out. And it often is coincidental that the water he finds is much closer to where the women need it than where the chief needs it, you know. <laughs> well, well, that's uh, interesting. Now, since we're talking about water, don't you fear that uh, over the years there will be no water? I mean, those wells would get depleted? Mm. This is a major problem and I will not uh, run away well, from it. We are, uh, when I first married Nellie in 1971, there was a hand dug well, maybe 10 meters deep, that we could throw a bucket down and pull up water from. The classic old style hand dug well. That thing has been dry for 20 years now, which means the water table has fallen quite a bit. We first started finding water when we did the first well at around uh, 15 to 20 meters, and now they're finding it at 30 and 35 meters. So, in fact, the water table, too, is suffering. Why? Well, deforestation, soil depletion, uh, the, 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 the less vegetation that's on the ground, the less the water soaks in. So it's been a major problem. Uh, so this is an environmental problem. Is the government... It's global, and it's, it's really global, of course. very, very, very problematic. But just to return to the clinic, because we, we've got yeah, to yes, move Yes, let, let, let's be positive. I mean, one, yeah. one good step and... Yeah, the water for the clinic was found uh, after, uh, after a very quick, uh, well, a long day's research, and, uh, and the drilling went very successfully. And uh, that is after we had hired another company that was uh, supposed to do all of this for us, but didn't do any of the hydrological survey beforehand. They just used the sort of uh, old wires and hoping that it would lower in the right places, more, more superstition than science. And, uh, and they had put in three wells and never found a thing. Three board, they drilled three boreholes and never found water. The ministry found it, uh, took a day of work to locate the right place, and it was a bit farther away from the clinic than we would have expected. But when they hit water, it came up at about 25 meters, and they went down to 50, and uh, the water supply is deep, and rich and clean. Uh, our contractors that came with us to help on the clinic, uh, Tom Peters and Ricano de Pagnanon, they, uh, they uh, built a, uh, did all the negotiations, got the, the, the pump in, they got the electricity hooked up, although not the water, not the, 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 it hasn't been turned on yet, but it's all hooked up. And, and we did a trial run, and we now have water in the clinic and the nurse's house, and in the next couple of years, we'll get it uh, extending a little bit further. So once you get the water out of the well, do you have pipes extended? That's or? right. We have an underground system of pipes uh, that go to the nurse's house, where she has a tank on the roof, and into the clinic, where we have a tank up in the main corridor. Uh, eventually, when the community gets larger and the clinic expands, uh, they'll have to build a tower and a much bigger tank to service a larger community. But for the moment, two 500-liter tanks will keep uh, everybody very happy. And what about electricity? We're talking about well, the clinic. <laughs> classic uh, third world, uh, poor country problems. Uh, electricity is in short supply. The, the main company that supplies electricity, the S electrical supply company of Malawi, is... Uh, is uh, chronically uh, 
running out of electricity, shutting down, uh, doing load sharing, they call it. So they'll all of a sudden, without any warning. What is the source of uh, power there? The source, uh, the main source is uh, the Ankula Falls. The Lake Malawi is emptied by the Shiri River, which falls down another part of the Rift Valley. And they've dammed and uh, used, uh, used uh, turbines to take the high water to the low places. And over three different large cascades, they've got several large hydroelectricity installations. There's also in hydro up north. Uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of um, coal generation, but mostly, and because coal is locally available uh, out of the Rift Valley uh, crevices that uh, leave open seams, but most of it is uh, is hydro. So, so can't you use also this water? I mean, this is an idea that comes to me. You have the falls, you have the lakes, you have the rain. Well, the, the lake, you have to remember, is in the Rift Valley. It's, it's a thousand meters below the plateau where the majority of the people live. And so it's not an easy uh, solution to say, uh, can't we just bring that water up from the lake? It's uh, a thousand yeah. meters is way up. <laughs> and... Um, Along the lakeshore, there, of course, is irrigation, which is why rice and, uh, and uh, similar uh, sugarcane and those kinds of things are all along the, the lakeshore and the river valley. That's, that's being done. But, of course, cash cropping becomes the imposition uh, that's, that's put on people. Uh, large uh, sugarcane estates to produce sugar for export. Uh, the, the rice, of course, is, uh, is uh, locally eaten, but it's also exported. Um, so uh, the lake is, is, is an advantage, but it, it, it needs to be... Um, not, not for the place where you are, for not, the highlands. <laughs> and, and, and where maybe 70% uh, plus of the population lives, it's very difficult to, to service. Um, what can I say? So, so y yes, we want to know how we can help you. I mean, uh, uh, a clinic, this is a lot of money. If you, we think about the super hospital here, the Glen, how oh much it costs. And, and here oh we are my. trying to build a <laughs> clinic. This is very brave. So it's, we, it's, we, good, it's good that you bring up the super hospital because we have a very wonderful relationship with Vanier College Nursing Department. And they are, uh, the, 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 uh, a, a senior nurse from the college takes her... Uh, takes six to eight uh, of her uh, graduating nurses every year to do their final practicum in Malawi. And they, because they work in the hospitals here, she, when they did the super hospital uh, and they were closing down the Shriners, she managed to get in there and got us a whole bunch of beds and examination tables and shelving units and all sorts of chairs bonus? and medical yes, stuff wonderful. that we squeezed into a half a container with another group and we uh, sent them to Malawi. We're having a fundraiser for that. And if we could just answer that question, uh, Sama, by asking Gwen if she's on the line. Yes, hi, I'm here. I don't know if you've been following it, but uh, can you talk a little bit about the fundraiser we have for finishing off this clinic, at least getting it to the next stage uh, operational? Yes, absolutely. So um, as you've already covered, I mean, the clinic is almost there, and it's been an amazing labor of love and really kind of a community-to-community, family-to-family kind of initiative. And... We're just at the point, as you have discussed, that the government will be ready to take over financing a large portion of this clinic, but we're not quite there yet. And what we need to do in the interim is cover salaries for the two women 
who are running the clinic at this point. So it's really a question of raising money to keep them going and keep them properly paid for the important work that they're doing. So we have organized uh, an evening on November 2nd, so Friday, November 2nd, and it's a comedy show at the Comedy Nest with an absolutely fabulous stand-up comic. Her name is Carmen Lynch, and I encourage you to Google her and listen to her. She's a, the way I describe her is she has a kind of Eeyore humor, like it's just this kind of grim, drag-down, very, very funny woman. So Friday, November 2nd, The Comedy Nest, which is at 2313 St. Catherine Street West, um, Doug, is that the old forum? That is the old forum. It's up on about the fourth floor there. The third. It's the third, third floor. Third floor. Okay. Okay. So a lot of information in a short time for people who would like. The tickets are $20, and all of the money that we make off of that directly goes to the salaries of the two workers at the clinic. We take nothing. Um, that is 100% sure. I'm running a spreadsheet on the whole thing. I can follow up with people who have any other kinds of questions. So I'm going to give you my email address for people who either would like to purchase tickets, which would be amazing, or who have more questions about it. Drop me an, e- an email. My address is Shulman, S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N, at simpatico.ca. And again, I just... I guess the pitch that I personally want to make, having been involved in this project right from the start, I am not a development person. I do not subscribe to the development industry and NGOs. Doug and I and others on the show have explored very, very critically our concerns about what the development industry looks like and how it perpetuates very neocolonial structures. This clinic is really a response to our very deep connection to this community and through family, Doug and Nelly, Nelly from Makupo. It was a cri de coeur from the community that they needed this clinic, and the response came from students, teachers, librarians, labor activists. Architects. Very kind of architect, <laughs> absolutely, architects, builders, it's all come out of our pockets, and it is very much um, a kind of community-to-community community gesture and solidarity. So it's sweet, and it's important, and please send me an email either to purchase tickets or to ask more questions. So at Chilman, at simpatico.ca. And That's right. A- Again, the event is on Friday, November 2nd. The comedy right. Oh, nest. and uh, doors open at 7.15. The show's at 8. The show. Thank you so much, Gwen. Okay, so uh, nice to hear your voice. And uh, good luck with the rest of the show. I'll be listening. Thank you. All the okay. best. Bye-bye. And to our listeners, please uh, stay tuned. We'll be back right after this very short break. <laughs> 